I'm scared to call my back word. I'm not prepared. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? Uh, <clears throat> nope, those you got to dial a number. Yeah. I had to buy Skype credit and everything. So this could go horribly wrong and we might need to flag another hour. <laughs> I keep thinking, who's that? And it's actually you. Yeah, it's me. Looking snazzy. Oof, pardon me. I'm glad I did that before he answered. <laughs> oh, it's a proper phone and everything. Mm. I'm scared this might be the wrong number and a completely different person will answer. Hello, sorry, Mr. Call. Please leave a message or call back later. Oh, no. At the tone, please record oh, your message. Oh, I don't want to leave a message. When you that stresses me recording, out. You may hang up. Mm. Well, that's a thing. <laughs> what, what, what time is it over there? It, uh, I don't know. Um, I genuinely don't know because I don't know which bit of the United States he's in. No, me neither. Um, and it's different there, isn't it, in different bits? Yeah. Why is the US got to be so fucking complicated? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'll give it a couple of minutes, then I'll try it again. Okay. Maybe he was having a wee. Possibly. <laughs> I've just had my first shit of the 24 hours, and I've got to say, I do feel a little bit better. Thanks. Stop trying to make me upgrade Skype, Skype because you should How are we doing upgraded. social media-wise? Social media, media guys. Social. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Twitter... Just um, people saying um, thank you for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the fundraising. Yes, the last one was from David and Siobhan Monty. Blimey. Yeah. Monty. 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 Oh, I don't say that with Gertie said. Okay, whoops, well, shit. Mm. Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't have to go that far. I don't, to go, I don't have to go to the other end of the spectrum, mate. Do you know what I mean? Just a simple, like, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, whatever. But, yeah, a good amount, so thank you. Cool. Yes. We're, what are we totally wise? Uh, we are totally at £884.98. <sighs> so that is, hang on, is that £106? £116. Okay. It's the same total. If you could form a, a network of 116 people with a quid yeah, tell yes. a friend in the next hour. If um, if all of my Twitter followers on Twitter, obviously, yes, uh, gave a pound, I'd have like 700 quid. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd have a bit more. Yeah. But <laughs> what's that? I'd have a, a little bit less. Um, all right, shall I try again, or is it too soon? I don't know what the etiquette is. Ah. No, I'll try again because it's yeah. supposed to be. Because you can't ring you back though, can you? Yeah, no, that's true. And when you go, when he comes on. Hello. 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 Oh, hello. 
Hi. <laughs> Hello. Had oh, a, a moment of panic then because I don't often use Skype to phone calls and, and it always bamboozles me a bit. And it's been, you know, 22 and a half hours. So I thought I might have just done a stupid thing with the computer, but it's fine. We're all here. It's good. Oh. Yeah, I'm good. I, this is the peak produ- production production hour for me for right now. So. <laughs> oh no! Are we I disturbing you? Hours. Oh no no! Oh good. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually inking a, uh, a silver surfer page while we speak. Ooh. I, I oh. could even chew gum at the same time. Wow! <laughs> I, I there's I can barely hold a cup of coffee right now. I was gonna say I don't I can't comprehend life right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, enough of our problems. Welcome, Mike. Yes, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm um, I'm excited to hear that you're uh, that you're doing some inking of um, Silver Surfer because it's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> inking Thank really you. scares me. I don't know if that's a really stupid thing to say, but I find it really therapeutic. But then also, like, like if you make a mistake, like that's it, you fucked it. <laughs> mm. I don't think you, it's. So you find you find Silver Surfer ther- ther- therapeutic. Uh, no, just like inking stuff, because sometimes, like, I don't do it professionally. Oh, right, right. I'm not, like, I'm not even going to pretend I do it professionally, but I do it sometimes just to, like, chill. Uh, but it, it does stress me out a little bit sometimes if you just go a little bit wrong and you think, because I ink everything by hand like a weirdo. Well, I go a little bit nuts if I'm not able to create something. Well, I was going to say it, Mark, actually, because one of the things that we've been really lax on the last sort of 20 20- how many hours I don't know is uh, getting people to introduce themselves and telling the probably by now free listeners um, <laughs> what they do so um, so basically Mike what, are, what is it that you do what is it that I do if, if I don't you know, there, there is a not a language barrier but an accent barrier so I'm gonna if, if I start answering your questions incorrectly go ahead and interrupt me okay <laughs> Start from the beginning, but um, if I if I understand the question correctly, I would answer it by saying that I write and draw comic books, um, and uh, sometimes uh, professionally and semi-professionally make music, play in a band, do a little work with film and television. But my primary activity is making comic books. No, you've got the translation spot on, sir. That was exactly what I said. Just, just with a bit more of a Cockney accent, I'm guessing. <laughs> it sounds like you've got your finger in a lot of pies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you trying find to, trying to do a, a, a little bit less um, isolated stuff and a little more uh, with friends and family? It, 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 it's it's a balance that's that's mm. a little hard to strike at times, but um, I, I think I'm getting there. So, um, what, uh, I know you're inking Silver Surfer at the moment, so maybe this is a, the wrong question, but what, um, what specific, uh, comic titles are you working on at the moment? Uh, well, Silver Surfer is what I would, I guess I would call my day job. It's, yes. Uh, I, it, I produce it, uh, um, on a monthly basis. I ha- uh, it's the longest, um, I've done anything without a break or a fill-in artist. Uh, so, uh, and it's one of my favorite things I've ever done. Um, working with Dan Slot has just been pure joy. So I, I'm, 
extremely thrilled with it. Uh, Silver Surfer has been a lifelong uh, favorite character of mine. So th- this, I'm, I'm really in my happy place on that. Next year is the 25th anniversary of my uh, arguably most successful creation, solo creation, and that's Madman. Um, and so I'm doing a uh, um, a 25th anniversary special uh, for 2017. And just finishing up uh, a Vertigo series I co-created with Sean Simon called Art Ops. Um, it's I think the 10th issue was about to come out, and but I'm currently um, doing all of the art on the final 12th issue. Um, and then I do a lot of uh, covers. Um, been doing a lot of Star Wars covers, and uh, like it's, I just. That escape from New York, big trouble in little China thing. Nice. Uh, you know, I don't think I was supposed to mention that. <laughs> I don't think, that's, I don't I don't think, think there's that's that many people listening. So yeah, I, I wouldn't worry. I I did a I did a labyrinth uh, cover, which Ooh. is going to be on used in two different places, and uh, I do all the Adam West uh, uh, 1960s Batman covers. Nice. And we're currently doing um, a, a crossover uh, with the uh, 1960s Adam West TV show version of Batman with John Steed and Mrs. Peel, uh, the Avengers. Oh. Um, and uh, I'm a big fan of that. We're huge fans. In fact, uh, I could go on and on and on about British culture. We, My wife and I are giant fans of Roger Moore's Saint series. In fact, I think Laura uh, prefers to have that running all night long when we sleep. <laughs> it just gives her great comfort for some reason. Uh, and uh, big fans of the the prisoner. Uh, I've got a couple of globe chairs like number two in the series. And um, next year we're doing a, a tour where where we'll be going to Port Marion in Wales, where I'm wow. told the uh, the where they filmed the village it yes. still looks mm-hmm. like like it did yeah um and i'm told that you can stay in uh the uh hammer horror films castle which is probably most famous as the rocky horror picture show castle <laughs> um we're gonna do the beatles tour in liverpool and um yeah just on and on and on and uh so yeah i i, I don't know why but um it's my it's my favorite music, the British music between say, like 1966 and 1976 is my, the music I, I listen to the most in my life. Um, yeah, I don't know why, but just really adore it. I, I have to say, um, listening to you talking about The Saint, um, I got, even, it was probably the reruns that I was watching as a kid. But, um, I absolutely loved Roger Moore's The Saint. I thought it was just, so I watched it when it was um, black and white and then it went to colour as well and I watched it then. Um, and uh, I always felt when he got the James Bond gig, I always felt like he'd got it too late because he was effectively doing that in The Saint anyway. Um, right. And doing it much better um, because he was so he was so freaking smooth as Simon Templer. He just, he, yeah. he had, you know, and he had this hairstyle where the hair just never moved. 
Even when he got in a fight, he'd get in a fight, and he, he really roughed up people in that show. He really beat people up in that show, and he'd get in, he'd get in a fight. <laughs> he has a huge swing, <laughs> like like when he punches somebody, he goes all the way back, yeah. all the way forward. But yeah, he's just he's just the coolest. We we have every single episode of the series. Ah, uh, um, I like our our favorite technology is probably Apple TV where you can make playlists of right. all your favorite movies and TV shows and um, so we w- when you have a playlist you can uh, you know start playing episode one and it will play continually and so um, like I, like I was saying Laura will often she usually goes to bed before me and almost every night, She'll start an episode of The Saint and then just, uh, you know, drift off. And then, so then when I go to bed, you know, I'll see uh, similar episodes around the same time because she'll then the next night go back to where she fell asleep and start it from there. <laughs> and then the episodes will, will play on. And, uh, it, it's, uh, but yeah, I just, I, I, I love that. Like favorite movie lists, like, you, you know, I'll, I can, uh, you know, I have a James Bond playlist. I can start with Dr. No and just yeah. sit back and it'll just continue all the way to, to Spectre. You know, it's, it, well, we don't have Spectre yet, but Skyfall, it, uh, we, we have. But yeah, I, it, it, I, I just love pop culture so much. And for whatever reason, um, you guys did a lot of my favorite stuff. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, you mentioned, um, The Prisoner, which again, I read, it's one of the best, um, openings for a TV show. I always loved that opening. It was just wicked. We just drives up and then quits his job and Stacey's looking because I know she's never seen it, but... <laughs> I've been to Port Merion, though. Yeah, I'll, yeah. <laughs> Bless you. Okay, um, I'll try. But have you ever watched a show or heard of a show called Sapphire and Steel? Um, say it again. It's called Sapphire and Steel. Sapphire and Steel. Yeah. Nope. I never right. heard of that. Right, it's another British show. It was kind of, I think it was either in the, I want to say 70s actually. Um, And if you liked The Prisoner, I think you should give it a look-see. It's it's, definitely, I'll hunt it down just on that recommendation. Because it starred Joanna Lumley, um, who was in um, the later Avengers. Oh yeah, absolutely absolutely fabulous. Yeah, and um, David McCallum, who was in The Man From U.N.C.L.E., if you remember that show. Um, Yep. So, and they basically investigate like weird, weird, um, occult stuff and all kinds of sci-fi stuff. It's a really weird show, but I just think if you like The Prisoner, it's worth you having a look for it. Great. Yeah. I just, just, uh, I did all of the Batman 66 man from, uh, uncle covers because there was a crossover for that before the Avengers one. Yeah. But with The Prisoner, what, what's really crazy about that show for, for years, I uh, had nightmares about Rover. I, I didn't. <laughs> I guess when I was a kid, I must have seen the prisoner and not realized it. And I would have nightmares about you know a big white balloon absorbing me and suffocating <laughs> me and trying or trying to drown me. And then I was I, I must have been in my early twenties when somewhere I saw the prisoner. And then, you know, Rover comes up out of the water. I'm like, wow. It was like a revelation that, 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 that TV show had, I, I thought the nightmares had originated just from my imagination, but they right. clearly had come from the television show. And, 
And it, that show for that reason still haunts me. I mean, it's a, it's a balloon. <laughs> no, no. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. I know on one level, it just shouldn't work. It, 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 there should be nothing terrifying about something that's effectively a giant ping pong ball chasing you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it's, it's quite terrifying. And I, I, I don't know why either. It's, I don't get it. Um, well, there's those images of, uh, of, you know, people's faces and like pushing against it. And, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's horrific, but, uh, it, what a brilliant TV show. And it, and so existential and, and just really just, you know, turns your brain upside down. Yeah. Yeah. It's madness. Um, back to comics though. You talking earlier about like your, um, that you're working the Silver Surfer and that's almost like your dream job at the moment. Um, so, um, what is it about Silver Surfer that attracts you to the character? Oh, several, several things. I, uh, it's probably one of the earliest stories I remember being introduced to. I, I have several different printings of the Galactus trilogy. Um, so I'm sure the first time I saw Silver Surfer's introduction wasn't issue 48 of Fantastic Four, which was his first appearance. I'm sure I saw it in like a treasury edition or some kind of collection somewhere. And there was even a really cheap animated cartoon version of it too. Um, so it was just, it's just one of the, the first iconic images I recall in my life. And I'm a West Coaster. Um, and, uh, uh, my uh, brother-in-law, uh, my ex-brother-in-law was Hawaiian. And so he taught me to surf, and so there, there's just all this whole mixture of, of things that, again, kind of like Rover, it should be silly. I'm a guy from, <laughs> you know, outer space who's zipping around on a surfboard, but there's the, just the gleaming cosmic coolness of it always struck me in a very special way, and and the simplicity of it. I'm drawn to, I'm drawn to. uh simple, you know, uh, design. And he is literally the simplest design in the history of comic books, um, as opposed to, say, Spider-Man, for instance, mm-hmm. where you just have all this intricate webbing that has to be, you know, the perspective and everything on it. Surfer is, Silver Surfer is just very pure. And um, and then also there's the kind of the, uh, the empathy that you get from the character and where uh, he has kind of, we, over years you find out how soulful he originally was as Norrin Rath mm-hmm. and then over millennia became, kind of lost his soul in a way. And then when his heart is touched again by Alicia Masters in, in the Galactus trilogy and he turns on his master, uh, it's just very powerful and, um, uh, so for all of those reasons, I've just always, uh, been drawn to the character. And then with, with, uh, Dan Slott's ideas and approach, I just fell in love and threw in. It's like, yes, absolutely. I want to be a part of this. And, um, so while we still have kind of that, those touches of melancholy in our take, we're also, um, I think ultimately when, when we're finished with our, what we intend to do, I, I humbly believe we're creating one of the greatest love stories, um, in the Marvel universe it, it, the, the, where we plan on taking this and, and leaving this. 
um, is, I just think, is one of the most beautiful love stories that I'm aware of, and I'm just really thrilled to be a part of it. Wow. I mean, um, my kind of experience of Silver Surfer, I haven't read a lot of Silver Surfer comics, but it's something I said hours ago, was that um, <clears throat> I used to get my brother's, like, hand-me-down old Marvel comics. This is going back to sort of uh, early 70s, and these were Marvel reprints um, that were sort of black and white. And I remember, I, I think it was the Galactus Tree. I'm not sure where... It, Basically, the Galactus sends, I think, um, a herald, which wasn't a silver surf. It was a guy with like, he had wings. He had like a, a horn or something to basically announce it was the end of the world. Um, and, uh, they defeat, Fantastic Four defeat him. And then Galactus turns up with a silver surfer. I'm, I'm sure that was the story I remember reading. Um, and I just remember thinking this guy, it was epic. And the way, like you said, the way silver surfer was drawn, it was so simple. And it really, even though it was a black and white comic, you really got the sense that he was silver. And that sounds, just the way they'd drawn him and the, and the shade and the inking with it, you got this real idea of like sleekness with the character um, yeah. that I thought was always thought was really cool. And um, and then I found out some of his backstory and who he used to be. And effectively, he'd kind of gone with Galactus to effectively kind of get his own world spared to be his herald. Uh, and you just think it's it's just a tr- he's just quite a tragic character. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. And even though he even though he was making this sacrifice for his planet, it 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 was a bit selfish too because he was hungry hungry for adventure. And so yeah. It wasn't that big a sacrifice for him, <laughs> uh, in, in some ways because he was really eager to you know get out into the universe. Um. So it, it's complex. You know, he he has. So many dimensions for uh, for a character with such a simple design. It, there's a lot going on with him, and and uh, it, there's uh, it, it, there's a lot to think about. I think also um, where my affection for the character comes from is uh, like you're, you mentioned, your older brother. Mm-hmm. I'm I consider myself extremely lucky in that my older brother just had the greatest taste in comics because. <laughs> I was surrounded by the best stuff and didn't really realize that until years later when, um, when I hit adolescence, um, in fact, before, uh, when, um, the Green Goblin killed Gwen Stacy, I literally stopped buying comic books. It, it devastated me. I had a crush on Gwen Stacy and I just, I was, I was done. And, um, and so then when I, you know, hit puberty, um, I spent all my money on record albums and just got more into music and stuff. So years later, I was reintroduced to, to comics. Um, in fact, the exact time there, there was, uh, a couple issues of Watchmen left to come out in its original, uh, monthly or semi-monthly, uh, release schedule. Wow. Um, so the mid to late eighties or something, that's when a friend said, Hey, you got to see what's happening with comics. Because I was always very artistic, just the same. And he thought, you should be drawing comics. And um, so I just plopped all these comics in front of me. And I reattached myself to the medium. And uh, by this point, comic book stores had come into existence where when I was a little kid, we could only get comics at uh, the drugstore. They'd be on newsstands and whatnot. And if you missed an issue, too bad. And so here in the late 80s, all of a sudden, 
I'm I'm getting blown away by all the, these new comics and um, uh, like Love and Rockets, uh, the Hernandez brothers, and, and yeah, um, Chester Brown and Dan Klaus and Charles Burns and uh, the Dark Knight Returns and just all this exciting stuff. And then I go, that takes me to the comic book store and I see I could get complete runs of stuff. Uh, so there would be comic books that I had as a kid, but um, if it, especially if it was a Marvel comic, a lot of times I never saw how something turned out because Marvel would continue. Yeah. DC Comics would often uh, wrap their stories up in a single issue. And for a little kid, that would be a little more appealing. You buy a Marvel and you may, may not see uh, um, you know, where it ends. And so I go into this uh, you know, comic book store. I have a job. And all of a sudden, I'm spending all my money <laughs> buying every single comic book I can. I'm buying books about comics and just a crash course on the entire history of comics. I'm getting into Golden Age comics and, and uh, who created this and who created that and just uh, just absorbing all of it. And um, in this, finding out that a lot of this stuff that was just around the house was around the house. Because I had an awesome big brother who just had the yeah. best taste. And I'll just always be grateful because I, it, I'm, I really love what I do. And I love having been introduced to the things which mean so much to me. Um, I was just going to say, I think you were saying earlier about the fact that um, you sort of grabbed a ton of comics after you were told, yeah, you should be drawing comics. Um, your art style is super distinct and, and, and gorgeous. Uh, what would you say your Thank main you. influences are? Um, well, mm, main comic book influences, uh, the more obvious ones would be like Jack Kirby and, mm-hmm. um, Alex Toth and Jim Steranko and, uh, uh, also like, uh, more illustrative artists like, uh, Frank Frazetta. I mm-hmm. uh, really loved the power in his work. Um, I was, a, a lot of the album cover design is, is a big influence on me. Um, but the, 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 the book that actually saw my friend saying I could, should draw comics. And when, when he was suggesting this, I was actually writing a screenplay and storyboarding it. Mm-hmm. And um, book that made me turn that screenplay in, into a, the, a, a more traditional comic book format was Love and Rockets, the, the Hernandez brothers. Mm-hmm. When I, I was uh, introduced, or I fell in love with their work first because of Mr. X which had kind of a record album design feel to it. Like you, it, you'd open up the book and the inside front cover and first page would be a, just a design spread with credits, uh, even cinematic in a way, and just glossy color, um, where typically you'd open a comic book and the inside front cover would be an ad, maybe even black and white or something. And so just the, this glossy, uh, beautiful design but then the the pure simplicity of Jaime Hernandez's uh, artwork and storytelling jumped out at me. And uh, so my friend says, well, if you like that, you should check out Love and Rockets, which was their, you know, where they told their all, their own stories and, and broke all the rules. And you know, like in a single issue would have multiple stories, multiple genres. And it, it told me that there were no rules, that as a creator, you decide what the story should be and how it should be told and how it should be drawn. 
and where prior I would be thinking that you'd you'd have to stick to you know how to draw comics the Marvel way or mm-hmm. or just these very strict boundaries. And Love and Rockets just opened me up to the the, the thrill of the individual artist and identifying uh, the art by the artist instead of a house style. Getting excited about a very distinct style of an artist. So that, yeah, I'd have to say, as far as a more contemporary influence, the Hernandez brothers were the real first big um, bang for me. Mm-hmm. And do you do you ever color your own work? Uh, uh, no, actually, I'm I'm colorblind. <laughs> Oh right! Oh gosh! No, because I was going to say, I think the the thing about the the style to your work is that it really lends itself to like very bold and 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 bright colouring. Um, I mean, Art Ops as an example is uh, stunning to look at, and I think because um, the the thing that I think that people don't really realise with comics is that sometimes things can go really wrong if the wrong writer is paired with the wrong artist or the wrong colourist or and like when everyone works together really well you end up with something really stunning. Thank you. Well actually I think I I think my my being colourblind has a lot to do with that. Because um when uh Laura who who was an art major in college, uh my wife uh started coloring my work out of convenience mm-hmm. and um, no I, I can see color I, I see and appreciate color but m- my color blindness uh, creates a confusion where I can't tell colors apart so mm-hmm. it makes it so I, I have painted and uh, uh, I've done several paintings but uh, I found out that I was blind because I again I was a, as a kid um, Dad always made sure we had art supplies and we always did whatever. And you, you start out with crayons and they actually tell you what the color is. So if you're doing the, the sky, you're, this crayon says blue. Well, when I started working with paints, I did a, a portrait of Bob Dylan. And Dad uh, was looking over my shoulder and said, Oh, it's, that's really good. But why did you decide to make his face green? And I... Mixing the colors, I hadn't realized that that's what I'd done. What looked like flesh color to me turned out to be green. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my dad was a psychologist and gave me these color blind tests and found out. Um, so I have a real hard time telling uh, some yellows and oranges can uh, confuse with greens or blues with purples. And so when when um, the opportunity to do a color comic came around and and Laura. Um, being an artist stepped up and uh, was that colorist. Um, I would, she would uh, would be asking, do you like this or do you like this? And so I, uh, she had similar preferences, but would um, was happy to oblige my preferences, which were those uh, simple primary uh, kind of old school classic timeless colors. Mm-hmm. Because that's what what works for the brain, and so whenever, so early on as as we collaborated, that was the stuff that I would always say, "Oh, I like that better." So instead of doing overdone, um, you know, crazy colors, Laura would often appease me with with, and that became her style. So uh, and and it's worked out beautifully for us, and we it, it's. 
it's awesome being able to work together and stuff. But that's largely why um, I think we've kind of had that become our thing. Does she colour most of your work then, or...? Pretty, pretty much all of it. There, there have been a couple of projects where a colorist was already contracted to do a series, or, or, um, or, we, or somebody's colored my stuff just for fun, or uh, a couple of our kids have colored some of my stuff. But yeah, the great majority of my work is colored by Laura. I'm quite interested to find out as well, like how it was that you broke into the comic industry because we've been talking to quite a few people over the last 24 hours yeah. <laughs> and uh, and one of the recurring themes that we've sort of come across is the idea of like um sometimes it's not just about having like a really good product it's about selling yourself and being a bit lucky getting things into the right hands at the right time um so how did you sort of sort of break in as it were yeah right place right time i think it is uh huge part of it. I, I mean, I, I see people that are just so talented, way more talented than me, but for whatever reason can't, can't catch a break. And so, obviously you have to have some talent, and fortunately I have some talent, but I also <laughs> didn't really know how to uh, get into the business. I originally thought that you'd have to move to New York and be, you know, running in samples to Marvel and DC all the time. And, um, so when, um, uh, I was doing the storyboards for the screenplay, uh, I just did it for fun. And what happened was I ended up, um, illustrating this entire screenplay as a graphic novel instead. And I had, uh, like a hundred pages when, um, uh, the first comic pro who has since become one of my best friends, remains one of my best friends, uh, Steven Siegel. He, he uh, co-created Ben 10 and Big Hero 6. He's uh, in the Man of Action um, imprint. Uh, and he was the first professional, he was first professional I met and ended up being the first professional that I, I worked with on a project where I actually got paid. But he started telling me that, uh, you know, I could actually... I thought that I, I should finish something and then try to get it published. I didn't know anything about uh, creating proposals or doing sample pages initially, and I just wanted the personal satisfaction of finishing the story and developing my skills. And uh, so here I was with this first graphic novel called Dead Air. And at that point, when I contacted... Uh, uh, publishers and I, you know, started with uh, small press publishers. Um, but I also sent out, um, uh, you know, proposals. So Steve Siegel's telling me that the addresses are in every comic book and you can, you know, send artwork to those addresses and there are people that are there to receive and look, you know, at the art that's coming in. And so I sent out the proposals and got, you know, re reje rejections across the board. But then Dan Vado of uh, Slave Labor Graphics um, uh, was interested enough to respond and ask more. <laughs> and when he found out that uh, that the whole thing was done, that seemed to appeal to him more than anything. And um, so it was just a matter of him soliciting it. And then from there, I started doing my own umbrella title inspired by Love and Rockets, where... Uh, and I called it uh, 
first graphic musique and um because I was living in Europe at the time and saw a graphic shop and a music shop in Paris and I thought that looked cool and thought comic books were like graphic music. And so that became my umbrella title where I could tell any kind of story I wanted to, the way Love and Rocket does. And uh Dan Veda was willing to publish that too. And um then from there uh Steve Siegel got uh, a series called Jaguars were sold to a company called Kamiko, where I got a, uh, enough of a page rate and a contract for a 12 issue series that, uh, it guaranteed me 12 months of work. And at the time I was a TV reporter in Europe for AFRTS, or you might know it as uh, AFN. Um, and so because of that, I was able to pull up roots. Uh, we, uh, were headquartered in Germany at the time. Uh, and the Berlin Wall had just come down. That was actually the last story that I reported on, was the fall of the Berlin Wall. Wow. And um, left uh, Europe for this comic book career uh, based on a page rate and a 12-month contract. And so as of January 1990, I've been a full-time comic book artist. Uh, unfortunately, that story didn't come out because Kamiko went, bankrupt <laughs> um, the uh the the 12 issue guarantee became more like uh uh four or five months of uh of getting paid and then then all of a sudden the money stopped and i had to scramble and uh just kept doing my own stuff and and fortunately the next creation that i did was madman and uh um was a surprise success and um, I haven't had to have another job since, so it just, I, it just got lucky. Uh, it's a little bit more than lucky. <laughs> well, like, well, for instance, with Madman, um, Kevin Eastman, who co-created the Teenage Ninja Turtles, was at a comic book convention in San Francisco called WonderCon. Right. And this was one of the first conventions I went to, and one of his editors saw a fake Madman t-shirt that that I had made. It was like a glow-in-the-dark t-shirt that I was selling. And uh, that was actually how we we, we kind of bridged the gap um, between the, the bankruptcy and a real contract uh, um, was selling t-shirts. So I would uh, make t-shirts of my comics and, and people bought them not because they liked the comic book, but they liked the design of the t-shirt. And and uh, we used glow-in-the-dark ink, and that was kind of a novelty at the time. And, uh, so Kevin Eastman saw, uh, I, I dummied up a, a fake comic, put it in a, a, you know, the cover in a, a bag, you know, in plastic with a board. So it looked like a published comic book. And then I had the T-shirt, and I had a poster. And Kevin saw this and was intrigued by it. And I, I you know, told him, well, it, it's, it's something I'm I'm wanting to do, but I haven't done it yet. He said, "Well, let me do it," and gave me a a huge um, advance with all of his teenage mutant ninja turtle money. And um, so this was 1992. Again, next year is the 25th anniversary, and um, it took off. They they promoted the heck out of it, and and. Um, yeah, there's just no turning back after that. So that was, uh, again, right place, right time. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, luck has a lot to do with it. If, if it was, if it was, if it was pure talent, man, I, I've got a list of artists that yeah. if, if I could be a publisher, um, and a, a lot of, a lot of artists kind of, uh, destroy themselves, you know, by not being, um, I mean, you have to be professional. You, uh, you have to, uh, you have to produce. You have to be reliable. Yeah. You have to, mm-hmm. you can't just talk about this amazing thing you're going to create. You have to actually create it. And a lot of artists I'll see will psych themselves out or, or, uh, panic or, for whatever reasons, just disappear and frustrate editors to the point where, as good as they are, an editor will never work with them again because, you know, an editor's job d- d- depends on an artist turning in the work. So, um, that, I see that happen a lot too. And, but for me, fortunately, I just love creating so much that I can't help but, but be prolific. And, and uh, uh, like I was saying earlier, I have to force myself to, you know, take time to play with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I adore them. I, well, I love spending time with them. But, but when I'm in that creative groove, it's really hard to pull me away from the drawing tour. Well, I, I was going to say, so like, how does, how, you know, in terms of like your, your workload, how do you structure your day? How, you know, how much time do you spend at a drawing table? When, you know, when does your day start? Um, well, I, I get up at noon every day. Uh, I, um, my iPhone actually has an alarm, and, uh, so that goes off at noon. And I get up and I have breakfast. I then, uh, I do a run. There, we, we live on this hill ab- above the University of Oregon. There's all these trails, so I do this loop every day. So, um, I, you know, that's nourishment, exercise, and then, uh, around this time, uh, uh, depending on if, if the kids are in school or whatnot, uh, there's usually a lot of, uh, uh, friends and family around the house. And it's a very active, uh, creative environment. But also there's a lot of distractions during the day. So I, I just, uh, kind of, um, surrender to it. And so there's a lot of music playing. My, my oldest son has a recording studio and, uh, we've made a couple albums together and, uh, with, with my other son, Bond. And anyway, so there's just a lot of that happening. And then, um, around and, and I, throughout the day, I will try to get work done. So it, it's kind of sporadic until around nine o'clock in the evening when I'm largely left alone. Uh, people will be doing their other things. Kids, uh, are, you know, it's their bedtime. And so my productivity starts to start, uh, spin around nine. And then by midnight, I'm in my groove. And then, um, usually work to about four or five o'clock in the morning. Wow. And, uh, and then, you know, when you said you get up at noon, I thought, gosh, that's quite late in the day, isn't it? But yeah, I think that's fair play when you're staying up till five. Well, I used, I used to do a, you know, largely nine to five, Monday through Friday kind of thing. And, um, at, again, as, as our family got larger, uh, it just became impossible. I, I had to surrender to all the activity. Um, and so by working all night when everybody else is in bed, um, 
they they now know you know my my room is like uh pitch black Laura always you know uh she works late too but not as late as me and she gets up earlier than me but the, our our bedroom is always like completely black and peaceful and awesome of course the the except for the saint playing on TV which I, I, I can sleep. I can sleep really nicely through TV. It actually, uh, you know, influences my dreams and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, everybody knows to pretty much uh, leave us alone till noon. And um, so, yeah, we get up and uh, you know, folks can you know run run through the woods with me if they want to, or it, it works. It, so the nine to five thing just stopped working for, for years yeah. it did but but uh, I took on um, extra projects like there were just, uh, a few years ago there were just so many things I had the opportunity to do that I didn't say no to any of them and the only way that I could uh, fulfill my obligations was to readjust my schedule and and I thought it would be a temporary thing but it's stuck and, and now it, it works. And so I, yeah, I just kind of front load my day with, uh, with play and then, uh, end my day in this, you know, at the peak of my creativity and then sleep really nicely and then get up and start my day with play again. Fair enough. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit with, with you about iZombie because uh, it's wonderful. Um, Thank you. <laughs> how, how involved are you with the show? Because I know you do the um, the sort of like still images at the start and ends of breaks and stuff, but are you involved at all in any other aspects of the, the TV show? Yeah, at this point, um, very little um, or, or not at all. But uh, I actually... Um, uh, the Peyton character, Ali Matalka, um, has been given uh, full cast status and so I just uh, did artwork to animate and you know insert her into the animated uh, title sequence mm-hmm. so we're we're um, adding Allie uh, officially to the cast and so um, I just finished doing that but yeah it's it's up and running um, er- early on there was a lot of uh, sweating bullets and and back and forth and, and, uh, leaps of faith. And, um, uh, like Madman, for instance, has been optioned for a feature film since 1995. Uh, Universal, Universal Pictures first picked it up and, and then, uh, with Robert Rodriguez and Dimension and, and until, and it, I only just recently got all the rights back to it. So for, for since 95 till, um, so what is that like 20 so almost 20 years um, it was uh, constantly trying to get it up and running as a movie and uh, just ultimately figuring that at this point I, I think it needs to be a TV show because after like five uh, distinct drafts of the screenplays I could just never get every every time every Time, I just could never get everything into it. It's, it's, there's just too much stuff. It doesn't. It doesn't work for a, a two-hour. You know, I, I did, and and so at this point, the idea of doing a two-hour feature film, hoping that we'd have a sequel, you know, being it successful enough to have a sequel, to then 
put more in. Uh, and then in the past few years, television has just become this amazing place for the best storytelling. I think, mm-hmm. I think the film medium has suffered at, while the television format has thrived, you know, with long form storytelling. And, uh, most of my favorite entertainment has come from television in the past 10 years. And, uh, yeah. huge movie nut will always be a big movie fan, but, but for me, uh, Mad Men wasn't working. And, um, so I, uh, so with all of that disappointment or frustration with Madman, um, we're just hitting walls and hitting walls. You know, it's nice to get all the, you know, option checks and you know, here's more money, but nothing getting made. Uh, it, you just kind of build this shell of, uh, of doubt and skepticism. So with iZombie, what was shocking was I'm, you know, going into it thinking, um, yeah, I'll believe when I see it. Uh, and if it does get made, it's gonna, you know, I, I, I was just kind of being a jerk about it. And, um, <laughs> but ultimately, finally, I just kind of uh, let it go and, uh, trusted, uh, Rob and Diane, our showrunners, and, they're just brilliant storytellers that they've just got this fun take on it. And they took our initial concept of the, you know, absorbing the brain, absorbing the personality. But then they brought in this procedural element, which just made it work as a TV show. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I, I'm, yeah. I'm a huge fan of it. And we have an iZombie night every week where people come over and we all watch it and have a, you know, have snacks and and then karaoke afterwards and it's it's a lot of fun. I think what I particularly liked about it was the fact that I was uh, I was a bit trepidatious because I was a, I was quite precious about I Zombie. Um, I love the book. And um, thank you. When they announced the TV show, I was thinking, oh, because the book was like really strange, <laughs> um, right. like um, like good strange. Um, and so I wasn't sure quite how that was going to translate to the screen. Um, and I think the changes they've made, whilst it is like almost an entirely different beast, it is still like stupidly enjoyable. And I think, um, uh, Rose, I think she does such a great job at portraying the different personalities that she's taking yeah. on when she, she's when she eats amazing. the brains. Yeah. She really she is. is. Yeah. Love her so much. The whole cast, they're the, yeah, they're all brilliant. And- and there, there's a camaraderie there. Everybody loves each other. Um, mm. just really happy with it. And, uh, yeah, she is fantastic. I, I just, I eat it up. And, and, but also uh, over time, I mean, anybody, you just can never, I mean, we, we hear it all the time. It's, it, the book is different or it's not as good. The movie's not as good as the book. And you just, Everybody just needs to accept that when you switch mediums, it's not going to be, it, it's, it's never going to be completely faithful. The most mm-hmm. faithful adaptation of anything I've ever seen was something I was actually a part of, and that was, uh, the Sin City, um, film, or, uh, you know, Frank Miller's comic. Yeah. Uh, where Robert Rodriguez, uh, co-directed it with him and literally, uh, used panels from the comic. To compose, compose the shots. Mm-hmm. And so you, you don't get more faithful than that. 
But most of the time, trying to be faithful from, from one medium to the other is just going to create problems. And and it's largely the problem that uh, that I now, in retrospect, realize was a problem in adapting Madman, um, because and and you you'll see when um, a movie or TV show will say this is a comic book, and it can it, sometimes it can just be horrible if you're if you're trying to bring elements that just don't work from one to the next. And I mean, even uh, you, uh, you you get Game of Thrones, right? Game of Thrones is, is that that's big in the yeah. UK. Yeah, yeah, we get Game of Thrones. Yeah. So it's it's actually shocking to where the the showrunners have run out of books to adapt, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and as, as faithful or, or not faithful as they are, but then all of a sudden go off book, literally, and still uh, entertain and, and surprise and and uh, but yeah, you can never please everybody, and I think you always have to kind of put a little bit of that aside when you jump from one medium to the next. If you, if you go to see a Marvel movie, you know it's going to be somewhat different from from the comic book or, or, or anything. You know, even if it's a, a, a film based on a Shakespeare play, you know, it, it, it does it work or doesn't it work? It, it, there's so many elements moving from one medium to the next. Um, have you seen Preacher? The, uh, no. I've only seen the first episode. No, because I was kind of I had I had a sort of toss up between watching Preacher or watching is it um, Outcast? Um, oh, okay. Which is ba- yeah, which is um, that's Robert Kirkman, I yeah. think that is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I'd read I'd only, I'd only ever read the first issue, but I've got the first volume. But I hadn't finished it, and then Outcast came on, and um, a little bit I kind of took my cue from iZombie Zombie because with iZombie Zombie I hadn't read the, the comics before I watched the TV show. Mm-hmm. So um, I I absolutely absolutely loved the TV show, um, and um, so that cast I kind of did the same thing. I'm like I'm going to hold. I probably I will read the Eyes Zombie comics. That's my plan. But I want to kind of, you know, I kind of wanted to go in cold, so I didn't have any any kind of frame of reference. I could just watch it, um, which is quite rare for me because nine times out of ten, I've whatever's being adapted, mm. I've, I've always I've already read it. So I'm already going in with a kind of almost like a wish list of things you want to see. Yeah. Well, with with iZombie, the comic book, it it literally takes place in in my town. <laughs> right. <laughs> it takes it it takes place in Eugene, Oregon, and that's where I live. And, right. Um. So I I would have fun like doing drawing real locations and um, uh, there's Spencer's Butte where they go to the top of this hill and I, I went up there and sat on a rock and drew all the other, you know, this is this action is going to take place here and here I got a big kick out of that and um, but not for a second was I expecting, you know, a, a television production to set up here <laughs> and uh, and and it takes place in Seattle uh, Washington, so you know, more crime takes place there. We're making it a procedural, but we we were uh, largely a guinea pig. It was it was the first creator-owned project that DC ever moved forward. Uh, so wow. even even when we were talking about the possibility of uh, DC having the first rights of refusal for uh, you know other media, you know, Chris Roberson, my, my co-creator, and I are just thinking. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, 
sign this piece of paper and you 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 get some extra money and we're like great (laughs) i mean there's no sandman movie or tv show you know (laughs) so so we're but then bang all of a sudden we become the 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 guinea pig for you know and uh so it's exciting to then see uh preacher happen uh i did a promotional cover for that and huge fan of of the comic book Mm-hmm. And, um, and then seeing the episodes and, and then also again going in knowing that there are going to be budget limitations, there's logistical limitations. And based on that, um, the casting is fantastic. It's really innovative the way that they've kept everything mostly in one, uh, location, um, at this point. I mean, there's, it, it begins with, uh, the entire universe and then all settles down into this small area in Texas. But, um, <laughs> I've been really impressed with it. I, I, uh, and the, all of the characters are instantly interesting or likable or intriguing. Um, so I, I'm very encouraged and hopeful that more people that own their creations will get to see, um, you know, get rewarded with uh, more mainstream success in other mediums and whatnot, because it is great fun. I, I wish comic books were the most popular medium in the world. You know, I wish people would trip over themselves. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're people, the most successful people in the comic book industry are subculture superstars. You know, we're just a tiny, tiny fraction of the world's population cares at all about <laughs> who we are and, and what we do. But it's really interesting when something you've created then becomes successful in a more mainstream medium, in this case, or in our case, television. And um, for the, you know, for the past two years, for the first time in my life, um, a friend or a relative or, can introduce me and they'll have heard of what I work on. Yeah. Um, because it's a TV show. And, and that's amazing to me. It, it's also kind of frustrating and, uh, disappointing <laughs> to say the least because you would hope that, that comic books would have that level of prestige that, that people would have heard of every cool comic book. You know, that every grandma and grandpa would, oh yeah, we, we know that comic book. <laughs> you know, but that's, <laughs> Realistically, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'm in that weird place where, you know, uh, where that precious nerd culture where you just love something so much and it's very dear to you. And, and like a, an indie band where, um, you know, you don't want them to be too successful because then they won't be cool anymore. <laughs> yeah, you get, yeah, you changed, man. You changed. <laughs> right. Right. Thinking is so backwards to me because the more successful an artist is, the more freedom they have to, mm-hmm. with their creation, you know, in their creative process. And so I want my, my my favorite creators to be hugely successful and to be, you know, adored by as many and supported by as many, you know, people as possible. But I, yeah, I understand it. I, I'm, you know, I'm part of that. It's, it's what my life is all about. Just being in this very precious subculture and very protective of it and, and a lot of uh, 
care about it, but I want everybody, as many people to, to, to dig it, you know, um, but realistically, realistically, no, that's not going to happen. And as technology advances, um, and more things distract from the printed page, um, it's less and less likely that, you know, that dream of, you know, mass acceptance of my favorite medium would, you know, it's just unlikely. Um, so, uh, I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can in my lifetime, but at the same time, I, I understand that all, all entertainment is going to be divided and divided and divided. Um, even if, uh, you, like, uh, the, your television networks, you know, the BBC and whatnot, where, or when, uh, I was growing up, there were just three, uh, TV networks, NBC, ABC, and CBS. So, millions of people would watch a piece of crap TV show because it was the, there were only three choices. And now there are thousands of choices. So, uh, um, it, it's that much harder for, um, stuff to be discovered and, and successful enough to continue. And cream has to rise to top very quickly in order for something to continue. So we, we got picked up for a third season and I'm just incredibly grateful for iZombie to, you know, to be successful enough to, to carry on like that. Cause competition is brutal. Yeah. <laughs> Well, especially with, like, Netflix and everything now, just coming out with, like, really cool original content and stuff yeah. and just plonking yeah. it all immediately in your eyes. Like, here you go, have a thing. And you're like, oh, oh. I mean, to be fair, that's where I found iZombie was on Netflix. They stuck it on Netflix. And and I think they stuck both seasons on there, just there you go, um, while season two was still being shown. So mm-hmm. I kind of caught straight up on it that way, yeah. which I thought was cool. So I'm really looking forward right. to, seeing the, um, to seeing the third season. Yeah, because the end of series two... I know, game changer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's well that it's happening, and because of social media, word of mouth has become the greatest um, advertising, you know, in the history of mankind. It, uh, you can find out about something uh, immediately. You're not waiting for an ad campaign. Uh, somebody sees something and tells somebody, and they experience it. And and some of my favorite uh, entertainment has has been uh, uh, introduced to me in that same way. Uh, ben Saunders, who's one of my best friends and a uh, professor at the University of Oregon here. He's from Wales, by the way. And uh, right. um, he, he has uh, curated the three greatest comic book art gallery shows for the museum um, uh, there that I have ever seen. I've been to comics art museum. I've been to, you know, uh, um, Art shows in Soho and New York and, and London. And what he curated here in Eugene at the University of Oregon, just like right now, uh, uh, tomorrow actually is the last day for this EC uh, exhibit at the University's Museum where, uh, all the great artists from EC Comics, there's, um, artwork from the very first Mad comic book and Mad magazine and, you know, Tales from the Crypt and, just all of this amazing stuff that he's pulled together. Before he had a superhero exhibit, there was a complete Steve Ditko Spider-Man story that that was there. Uh, did a Charles Schultz uh, Peanuts exhibit. So uh, it's it, 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 and I I 
also he, he teaches the he, he, he's an English professor and specializes in like Shakespeare. And then you uh, he also has a, a comics study program. And I sat in a complete uh, semester in in his uh, uh, course. So for a whole semester, saw everything he taught, and it was thrilling to you know the this beautiful, rich, intellectual Welsh accent telling all these students how important what I do for a living is. <laughs> how significant this art form is. And it's like, wow, if they hear him say you can't help but be convinced. Um, but, but that, the whole word of mouth thing, people talking about something and, and spreading the word. And, uh, so this, Brilliant man, um, he, uh, Ben Saunders, hears from our mutual friend Howard Chaikin about this TV show called Banshee that, uh, so, and so Ben checks it out and is blown away, uh, and then tells me about it and is like working on me, convincing me that you've got to give it a chance. You th- watch three episodes. If you don't like it, you're not going to like it. But if you watch three episodes, and so, uh, I, I okay fine. So I like put it on while I was working, and I'm just kind of listening to it and looking up every once in a while. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, you know, I gave my nose glued to it, (laughs) and uh, it's just this insane kinetic uh, action. uh, Just everything is amped up and and over the top. There's not a boring second in this series, Uh, and I think it's fourth. and final season is ending now. But it was like on Cinemax, and I, I didn't get Cinemax, but there was like a free season on Amazon. But again, it's this whole word of mouth thing. It was the same with Game of Thrones for me. In fact, the exact same thing where, um, in this case, it was just stacking on our DVR. And people kept telling me how great it was and how great the books were. And I had the whole season on the DVR, and finally I thought, you know, I should get around to watching this. And so I just started playing it while I was working and just kind of listening to people talk and looking up when it looked like something was happening. And by the third season, again, bang, I was right in front of the big screen just taking it in. And by the end of the first season, I was like, you got to see this. <laughs> and that's so fun when, you know, this whole circle that happens when people get excited about something, they share their enthusiasm for it and turn other people onto it and it just goes around and around and around and around and uh, that's my favorite thing about pop culture is is getting excited about something and then passing it on and sharing it well that's pretty much why I podcast really <laughs> yeah that's, <laughs> just that's I get overexcited right <laughs> it's, it's almost one o'clock in the morning in Eugene Oregon and I'm thrilled <laughs> to be talking to you just for that reason Oh well, I think we've just about come to the end of our of our time with you now. Um, we're we're knocking on, we've got like seventeen minutes left yes. before we hit our twenty four <laughs> hours. So, <laughs> um, it's been really lovely talking to you. Um, I, I I wasn't expecting you to say yes. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I do a very self-deprecating thing where I send out a load of emails and think I'll never hear from those again. So um, yeah, it's really nice of you to take the time to talk to us today. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm grateful for your interest. I mean, it, 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 again, it's like it, my life would not be as wonderful it is, as it is 
without people like you, you know, sharing it. it I mean, that, I, I'll, I'll never not know and appreciate that. So I'm very grateful for your interest and, and I'm always, always happy to, to, you know, to talk with people that care. Oh, thank you. Brilliant. Um, well, I don't know if you want to, like, surely everybody knows you and where to find your works because you do awesome famous things um <laughs> so on, on that note <laughs> on that note i'll say um get back to work then <laughs> thanks very much you bet and when when you see silver surfer number six page three you'll know what i was thinking while we were talking ah, ah awesome i'm gonna write that down so i don't forget <laughs> yeah. okay then mike Thank you so much. Take care. You Thank take you. care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, 15 minutes. Shall I try and call? It says that he's away, but I'm going to try yeah, it anyway. Try. See, it, see how that goes. I'm scared now. Yeah? Yeah, go on. ハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハ
it's a sad thing to say, but you're going to probably mm. more than likely, you know, there's going to be some connection down the road, you know. It's ridiculous how how much of it there is out there. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's a charity that is working towards helping people and helping combat it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we um do we have any more social media bees while we're waiting to see if Mr. Coley will appear? Um, social media, Mikey's got all the answers. Yeah! So that that noise is the sound of people who just noticed <laughs> yeah. we went over a thousand pounds. Yes. <laughs> so whoever did that, thank you. <laughs> oh. Who did it? 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 Love, Lexi. Oh. £42. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank oh. you. Lexi. Oh, you your hug. And yeah. also, she's um, answered the uh, questions in the universe, which is 42. 42. That yeah. is true. So it's like oh. double boom. Oh, we did yeah, it. Yeah, let's have a squidge. Oh. Let's get in here, Mike. Oh. Let's all have a cutch. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Sorry for cold hands. <laughs> yeah, you oh, do. They are really cold. <laughs> He's been so busy social media in that he hasn't got any circulation so, in his fingers yeah, anymore. You couldn't have cut it any finer than that, could you? I tell you. Wow. I tell you. Ten minutes to go. Ten minutes to go. Um, oh, I'm a bit sad that Raoul's not here. Well. Uh, but... You know, oh well. I yeah, mean, but we had, you got to talk to the creator of Eye Zombie. I did. That was yeah. exciting, and I didn't. I didn't like fangirl too much. Or no, you were, you were epic. I do. Yeah. I always get really concerned. Like, I mean, especially when I spoke to like, um, like Kevin Eastman was the big one for me recently, mm. because the turtles are like such a huge part of like me, <laughs> in general. Um, to talk to him was like utterly terrifying, um, but also like one of the most awesome things ever. This is why I love podcasting, because I get to talk to people I would never normally talk uh-huh. to, like super famous, awesome people. Um, I, f- I still really need a wee, and I was thinking, should I go now, because it doesn't look like he's coming. Uh, but I've only got ten minutes left. <laughs> that seems like a bit of a bit you of a waste. Hang on for ten minutes. I'm, I'm sure I can. Yeah. Uh, what shall we do for ten minutes, though, to entertain? Um, has anyone got any questions for us in these any last requests? ten minutes? Any requests <laughs> in, these, in these now nine minutes? Uh, there's there's going to be no champers down arseholes, guys. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to break the internet as I as I previously <laughs> planned to do. Jose Fix says, "Congratulations, excellent job, guys." Thank you. Uh, Squeak, <laughs> squeal. Matt f- throw up. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Foss says the end is inside. It is. Yes, I can almost taste it. It, it, it tastes like cocoa pops. Nine nine minutes to go. I've just had, I've obviously just had a text from um, Sue <laughs> saying she's still heard. Hi Sue. <laughs> Thanks. Coming home soon as just, well. Um, does Sue know that for a really long time we thought she was a figment of your imagination? Yes. <laughs> um. Her wedding dress is gorgeous. That's the thing that I'm going to say. Well, her, really it was. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was gorgeous. It was really gorgeous. Um, Dave has just said, so why don't I interview the two of you for our next episode as a debrief? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I mean, not immediately because... <laughs> yeah. Very quickly, can I just say, James Kennedy donated to us. Oh, thanks, James. Thanks, James. Thank you, James. You're a star. Okay. I've I've been told, um, don't don't sing. sing. Yeah. How dare you? (laughs) 
<laughs> You're stifling my groove. <laughs> yeah, but I've all, yeah, but I've already sung. I've already sung at the beginning. Yeah. So oh. that's I feel that's okay. And I've only got eight minutes now, so I'm yeah. not gonna sing. It's all good. I don't I don't know if I have any lyrics in me, if that I, makes sense. I don't like, know, I'm, I, I'm very tired. Yeah. I feel like I'd start singing something and then it would turn into like... I, I just, I don't know if I've got the energy to sing anything anyway. <laughs> Are you a fan of Flight of the Concords? No. The, oh. <laughs> Sorry, I, I could <laughs> <laughs> Well, they do a song called, uh, what, like, it's called Think About It and it's a song about like what's wrong with the world today and they sing all this stuff. And there's one part where <laughs> Jermaine just doesn't bother coming up with any lyrics and he just like sort of mumbles so he goes what's wrong with the world today what's wrong with the world today that pretty much is me <laughs> if I was going to suddenly break into song that that's pretty much what I would have done so actually yeah. you kind of saved me the effort really <laughs> yeah um, I think those are about the most lyrics I can manage I was, I was, trying, I was, I was trying to think about um, what, what the high point was of um <laughs> what, what's Sue saying there? Sue's She's now saying, <laughs> yeah, Sue's now saying, Frank Fucker wasn't listening at the beginning then. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? This is the benefit of having a husband at a festival who can't listen to this because yes. he can't pick on me relentlessly. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, well, at least, but at least she can only do it for the next seven minutes, but I'm sure she'll do her best. Um, uh, I was trying to think what. Well, what the high point was of the last 24 hours but I, I there are lots of them yeah it seems to be oh, I think um, talking dicks with Jenny and Lee that's got to be a that's, there. that's mm-hmm. yeah um, it's, a, it's a point everything mm-hmm. Kelly Sue said yes yeah said. that was yeah. A, yeah, yeah she was yeah comedy gold she was gushing at uh, Mike Allred but not too much no I thought you did really, I thought you yeah. know you did a really good job mainly because I, I needed to go to Lee yeah and so I thought she, you know, I thought you could run with it, and he did. Uh, yeah, I tried. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do like, I, you know, I mentioned earlier that the fact that I actually started podcasting to try and be able to talk to people, uh, 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 what, what's the word I'm trying to say? Like more confidently. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, d- I do think in in like certain circumstances it's helped, but I still find conventions really weird, and I think it's the table. Yeah. Right. I think it's like you're sitting down and I'm standing up, and there's a thing in between us that clearly says like I am a famous person, yeah. and you are a punter, yeah. and like there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but to me it suddenly makes me feel like oh you're daunting. <laughs> you've got a seat behind a table and I'm over here would you being prefer, a if that, would you prefer if there were seats on the other side of the table so you could just like pull up a chair and sit well, down front? That... I think what would be really good is standing up tables just like at an angle you know <laughs> well I, I tend I mean I tend to when, I, when I've been an exhibitor I've tended to spend most of the convention standing hmm. so when hmm. people do come up to the table they're the eye line is straight away level with me. Yeah. Um, and I've seen a lot of um, exhibitors do that, and I think that actually works quite well. Mm. Yeah. Because um, you're ready to sort of engage with people straight off. Mm. Um, but at the same time, there are times when I'm tired and I'm going to sit down yeah. or eat my sandwiches. There was a, I can't remember which convention, I think it was the first Bristol I went to when I got a sketch from Andy Granov, and he had a chair because um, he takes quite a while with his sketches because he's because uh, they're really good <laughs> um, and so people were like sitting down and I found that the most awkward thing ever because I didn't want to talk to him because he was sketching and I didn't want to distract him yeah. so I just sort of sat there staring at the Spider-Man he was drawing for me like <laughs> wow 
<laughs> um, I think I must have looked like a nutter. Not shady at all. No, just like staring at him and occasionally looking up at his missus because she is beautiful. <laughs> I was just getting distracted by her gorgeous face and then be like, but Spider-Man though. <laughs> Anonymous has said congrats and given ten pounds. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Anonymous. Thanks, Anonymous. Aww. I'm so chuffed we made that because I was really scared I'd hit, I'd set the bar too high because <laughs> um, I thought I did it like last time um, I, when I did it before I did it for um, Operation Smile and the um, the operations that they do cost around 150 quid each so I set the the, the thing at 750 because I thought that's five surgeries that'll do yeah <laughs> that's that's a nice round number of surgeries and a good number to aim for uh, but this time I, I got nothing I was like I don't know what's a good number <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought I'll just put a thousand in that'll thousand, do that's a good number it's yeah. not high at all that's not too high no <laughs> um but uh, for any people who are sort of tuning in at the late end of this, I will be. Uh, the whole thing will be uploaded to Mixer for you to listen to uh, as a big 24 hour. Cool, Mike's hungry. As a big 24 hour. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it was? It's like zero or something. <laughs> um, but I will also be chopping it up into like little digestible episodes after I've had like a couple of days sleep. Don't say digestible. Um, <laughs> um, so you can you can tune into those if you missed any bits um, and the donation page will be open for the next I think three months okay. um, so whilst those are going out as well yeah they'll be because ru- I'm actually thinking now that I'm pretty sure my hubby and the people who are at the festival with him haven't Right. Donated yet because they're at the festival. Okay. And uh, festivals cost money, so yeah. <laughs> so like, can we can we do it after payday? And I'm like, yeah, I suppose. Um, so that's going to bump that up even more. Yeah. Which is jolly nice. But once again, because we're coming into the last sort of minute or so. Oh man. Um, massive, massive thanks to a everyone, the, the people that stuck with us. Yeah. Yes. Well done. Stick with us. Well done. Well done. Crazy sons of bitches, you. <laughs> Um, oh no, my stomach's at it. <laughs> okay. My stomach's going there. Yeah. I need and, to and, um, to everyone who's donated and everyone yeah. who came on and gave um, up their time. I um, didn't do a very good job of promoting it, but yesterday I put like a booklet of um, info about all the people uh, that were coming on the show and mm-hmm. stuff um, onto the popcultureparlor.podbean.com page. Um, and that actually has like a big thing of thank yous right. at the back because I thought, I know what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to the last minute and be like, I want to thank my mum and Barry <laughs> and Mike because and then just melt down and forget people um, so I did that beforehand so that I wouldn't forget anyone um, so I think I'm just going to say thank you to everybody 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 people who took part you guys social media Mike social media social, social media, media Mike, Mike. social um, media Mike you kicked ass like oh yeah man all through uh, do you know what ha- I've got to say like not that I'm getting designs about doing this again anytime soon, yeah. but uh, if I ever did it again, definitely get a social media mic because it took so much weight <laughs> off my mind from, well, from like, the last one. Social media mic, drinks mic, sandwiches mic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tea bitch mic. Yeah, it was just mic. Mic on the go. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so... Here yeah. we are, last 10 seconds. We're in the last... I'd like to thank a few people on Twitter. I won't be able to say everyone, but there's been some amazing people who've been helping out. At New Mutant, he's showed off his artwork and was drawing during that time. At James Kennedy 9, who's just been so supportive, so lovely. Um, Yel Zamor, she's just, she asked me to give you a high five. Oh. 
There you go. She's just in the asexual crowd. So oh. she's just like Yay. solidarity. <laughs> <laughs> Wear that flag, girl. Um, there's just so many people out People on Twitter have just been amazing. I've just made so many new friends. I've added a whole load of people on your account. So. <laughs> Not weirdos, I presume. <laughs> well, of course they are. <laughs> Would you expect any of this? But yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my two cents. Oh, thanks, Mike. We've crossed the 24 So we are now, we've now done 24, 24 hours of hours podcasting. Of talking. Of talking. Nonsense. Random nonsense. <laughs> um, some of it might have actually been slightly coherent. I, some of it might have been interesting. Some of it might have been <laughs> Certainly from the guests. Um, yeah, yeah. I reckon about four hours of it was probably quite interesting. Um, <laughs> but from what, I mean, when I say four hours, I mean of what we were saying as opposed to what actually the guests were saying. Um, are you now shutting stuff down? Uh, I'm shutting down the Skype mic and I'm turning up the music uh, mic so that I can play our outro song in a minute. So all, all that remains is for us to say um, farewell and to say to see if you're listening, I'm going to be getting a cab in about 15 minutes, love. I'm on my way home. <laughs> I'm on my way home. I'm coming home. And What's wanna, that song? Ooh, I want to say um, thank you, Jesse Todd, for helping me. And I love you very much. Aww. Aww. Thanks, Rich, for being in a field. I love you very much <laughs> yeah. as well. Thanks, Rich. <laughs> on that note, thanks, everyone. Thanks, and, everyone. Um, see you. At the, I'm waving. Yeah, we're, we're all waving. I, I, I want to say, I want to say, I won't I'm see you on. Um, <laughs> I won't see you on Stacey's podcast, twenty-four hour no, episode three, because that that because you can't train, even say it. I can't say it. I can't say it because it's not happening. That's why it's not happening. That's me done. All right, you've got your grand now. <laughs> I want more. Going home. <laughs> um. <laughs> On that crazy note, uh, I'm going to go to bed. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Just reset.